and welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Chris Chafin. I was swallowing, and my host name is Caleb Shively. Uh, <laughs> Caleb, how dare you swallow during this podcast? What the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, I will refrain from swallowing the whole time. You're just going to get a lot of... What happens when you don't swallow? I guess we'll I think you're going to be out. drooling. You're going to be drooling all over yourself. A lot of just air caught in my mouth, and it's gonna, my cheeks are going to fill up, and you'll hear some jowl movement. <laughs> what do you think you swallow? You have a lot of air caught in your mouth? You think that's what you're doing when you swallow? You're getting hey, all the air out of your mouth? It's the burden of us big mouth people where you just catch a lot of air. <laughs> hey, speaking of being a huge big mouth, uh, you're listening to this podcast that these couple of crazy big mouths have. It's called Actually Best Choice Movies. Every week we talk about two movies. Usually one of them is old and one them is new and they're united in being good uh but this week as happens occasionally uh both of them are new and i i am not mad about it it's fine i'm fine to do two new movies you know we're winding down the calendar year it's good to look at what happened this year in 2020 as lots of stuff has happened and therefore lots of stuff has gone under the radar of a lot of our viewing but yeah we're looking at 2020 docs <laughs> Document, which is sort for documentaries, not doctors. Which thank you to all the doctors out there. I mean, hey, can I just say thank you to all the doctors? I know Caleb's acting like this is a joke, and he thinks it's funny that people are out there, you know, saving our lives. I think they're funny I, that they're listening I to the podcast. <laughs> I'm sure two of our listeners are the doctors that are related to you. Um, yeah, so this week we're doing two new documentaries. Uh, one of them is called Time, and it is directed by Garrett Bradley. Garrett Bradley, yes. Thank you very much, Caleb. And the other one is Dick Johnson is Dead, directed by his daughter, uh, Kristen Johnson? Kirsten. 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 Kirsten Johnson. Uh, that's all this week on Actually, Best Choice. Schmovies. 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 But before we get to any of that, so like I said, we're doing two new documentaries this week. That's because like in 2020, there are so many new documentaries all the time. It's one of the major forms of content in 2020. Uh, and there have been a lot. There have been a lot. Right, Caleb? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there is a ton out there and they're mostly streaming and they're mostly viewable. I think we covered over the course we try to do documentaries because we both like watching documentaries. We did Spaceship Earth. Uh, yeah. But then we did the disservice to ourselves uh, by covering Biodome with it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, go ahead, listen what to that episode. <laughs> what a crazy idea that was. Yeah. But, you know, and in a certain way, it was it made perfect sense. Yeah, it was just good to remind what Bad Films was, too. And also, it is an interesting doc. But anyway, there's a ton of other documentaries out there. And uh, Netflix has always done, like, say what you will about Netflix studios in general, but they always purchase and uh, champion uh, docs in general. Uh, like, I would say... Over the past four years, there's five Oscar nominees for documentaries. I would say about 90% of those were reviewable on Netflix, which is a very cool thing. Uh, but yeah, even this year, I was uh, they have, have a couple. Uh, My Octopus Teacher, Social Dilemma, those are big talked about ones recently. But I was a big fan of uh, Crip Camp. Crip Camp, yeah. yeah I heard good it, things about it, did, did, did not watch it. Yeah, it comes from uh, Higher Ground Productions, which is uh, Barack and Michelle Obama's, uh, the, the executive produce. And yeah, it's about, uh, it's a uh, Camp Jened, which is a summer camp in New York. And it's like free spirits, but the everyone who goes there is a teen with a disability. And it's just really like them, like their connections and how they like uh, became activists for disability rights movements. Uh, it's absolutely stunning. Uh, a very great 
powerful 2020 documentary, uh, would totally recommend. And I can't talk about 2020 documentaries right now. I, I think I talked about it with Chris uh, the other day. I don't know if he watched it yet, but Totally Under Control from Alex Gibney. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I have not seen it yet. I have not yeah. seen it yet. You it guys, might end we up were being the, we, a defining... Everyone was talking about this, yeah. this movie. Yeah, it's totally uh, currently on Hulu. It's, if I don't know, Alex Gibney, who did uh, that great... Uh, I forget the name of it, but the uh, Scientology documentary that was on HBO. Uh, he's a great, great uh, documentarian. He just lines up all the information that we already know in such a palpable and earnest way about the Trump administration's COVID response that it's just like a lot. And it's fucking sucks, but it's also just fucking like how we how I will think about it just helped me get organized my thoughts about things because, you know, it's 2020. There's so much news all the time. It was just good to hear this news organized in a way that's like, okay, cool. Here's how I'll help remember this. <laughs> Where it made like a coherent narrative instead of just like noise constantly. Yes, and it's still noise constantly because it's not over, but it's a very good documentary uh, from a very good documentarian. Uh, but yeah, um, have you uh, any that you would like to champion right now as we get into 2020 doc renewed talk? Well, you know, not exactly. So what I wanted to talk about was, I just, I mean, this is sort of maybe more of like a media business rant, but like, you know, one of the reasons you have to say there's so many documentaries is like, I mean, number one, it's like a cheap form of content, Mm -hmm. right? They can buy this documentary from this documentarian and somehow we're in this moment in culture where they can be huge, right? And I, I, to me, especially, I'm going to talk about it when we talk about Dick Johnson is dead, but... I, I, for me, it goes back to like Serial in 2014. Like, there's Serial is this absolute smash hit. It completely rejuvenates and like recontextualizes true crime into this way where it's like now it's smart. It's smart and it's for smart people and it's also entertaining, but it's also like totally okay to like it, right? And, and then you start to get a lot of podcasts that are like this, right? Like mm-hmm. Dirty John and like a million other things. But eventually I found myself thinking like, you know, at, a, at the end of the day, a lot of these are not that different from the kinds of like tabloid TV shows that used to be on like 48 Hours, Unsolved Mysteries, you know, Current Edition, uh, 2020, all that kind of stuff, right? It's kind of the same thing. And then I think this year we have reached the point where all of those things have actually come back. <laughs> like, like Unsolved Mysteries is back. Uh, 2020 oh, yeah. is back. I just, and there's, and aside from those things, there's a million other, I mean, you, you know, the, what was that? Like the making of a killer. I mean, making a Tiger murderer. King, on, yeah. The about, making a murderer. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, just, it's, Avery, it, yeah. It's, it's so the last six years have just been packed with like, you know, documentaries, yeah. docu-series. It's like, I mean, I have one of the like few Hollywood meetings I was in. Somebody pitched to me like, you should make a documentary series. Like they're like real hot right now. And they're, you know, you can just make them and you make a whole series. And it's like, people like buying them. People like watching them. They're a huge part of our culture. And especially in 2020, when you like can't do regular productions. Oh, sure. Yeah. Documentaries that are already completed and looking for a buyer. I mean, it's, it's a no brainer. Yeah. Uh, them, we right? all watched uh, Tiger King, which I would say is not the most artistic rendered, but more of the sensationalist kind of documentary. Which, sure, you could, well, those are allowed to happen. I, I, I got hooked on it for a minute. Yeah, um, I was also hooked on, I mean, I really enjoy Tiger King, um, but it, yeah, I mean, right, it's exploitive, it's trashy. Yeah. It doesn't exactly make sense. You get the feeling that it's leaving a lot of stuff out and it's, you know, very consciously mm-hmm. crafting the story in a certain way to be entertaining and not necessarily to give you a window into reality. 
Um, but you also have like the niche stuff that we all watched as we were all starving for uh, NBA basketball when it was canceled. Uh, ESPN brightly, smartly moved up their airing of uh, The Last Dance, which is the uh, 90s oh, right. Bulls documentary. And holy shit, um, like I had people who d- don't know NBA come and talk to me about it just because they didn't know about it. I was like, yeah, man, it's so good, right? And I loved it. And also, uh, as you're speaking to uh, one-sided documentaries, like if you get Jordan on the, he's totally gonna be one-sided. <laughs> but he's the fucking coolest guy ever, with an asterisk. Uh, but he is the coolest guy ever, asterisk. Um, so that was a, a, a great thing to happen in my documentary like, watching. Yeah, I didn't watch. Last I didn't dance. watch the last dance. Like I heard it was fantastic. Like I feel like I didn't. Obviously, I, I would like to watch it, but like I listen to podcasts where guys just talk to each other, and they were at some <laughs> point watching The Last Dance, and they just talked about it for like a solid month. They were always talking about The Last Dance, so I'm like, okay, okay, I I, I get it, basically, you know. But I'm sure it's good to watch. I'm sure it's very good to watch. Yeah, it's, it is. Uh, there's small things in it, uh, like Carmen Electra pops up in it, because of course this that's how expansive this interview gets, but. Uh, I did love it. One of the articles I read, they called it the Bulls Traveling Cocaine Circus. <laughs> I never read that article. <laughs> I didn't watch or finish watching uh, McMillions, but that was a big one this year on HBO. Oh yeah, McMillions. That was really funny to me too because that was based on a viral Daily Beast article from a couple of years mm-hmm, ago. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I just remember the day that that article came out. It was like a huge deal. I was working at my old job at the time and like everybody like stopped what they were doing. They, everybody read the article. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody was tweeting about it. And then when I started hearing about McMillions, I was like, wait, isn't that that story? And I misremembered it. I was like, wasn't that like a This American Life episode? Because I just felt like I remembered it so vividly. And then I was like, oh, no, actually. It didn't take a while for it to come out, which is probably smart because, yeah, it was like, what, two or three years before. And then like, oh, yeah, I remember this story. But it's good they took their time with it. And what I watch, I'm already, I, I've been meaning. It's one of those things I've been meaning to finish, but I just started See, watching other stuff. And without having seen it, right? So I obviously take everything <laughs> I'm about to say with a grain of salt. It seems to me like the perfect example of the 2020 docu series. It's way overstuffed. It yeah. like doesn't need to be this big. And I mean, it's so ironic because I am somebody who's out here like trying to sell a magazine article, TV adaptation, and I've had people tell me like oh, there's just not really enough story here to like pad out all these episodes. And then I see something like McMillions and I'm like, well, it doesn't fucking need to have enough story <laughs> to like pad out. It's just like, you can just, I don't know, you just repeat stuff or it's, it, it, it's very infuriating to me. Uh, and you do think like it was a great magazine article. It could have been a great two hour, hour, you know, like a 90 minute documentary. Like, why does it have to be like 10 hours of, of content? You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, but it's an artistic choice. You could have way more. I doubt this is an artistic you, choice. Yes, I think it was yeah. a, like a, a monetary choice by Netflix. Hey, uh, money the, is art, man. For the director. Art sells, baby. Yes, art sells. But so one thing I will say about both of these movies is that neither one of them is that, is a docuseries stretched way too fucking long. No, yeah. They're both nice and tight documentaries right around an hour and They're a half. They both adhere closer to pieces of art, which we're going to get to oh, very, yeah, like, definitely. heady spaces of esoteric uh, conversation because uh, both these films like do they don't they're, they're both good uh, spoiler they're both great movies and I'd, like it's hard to like review or just puncture them because just such lively pieces of art uh, that I'm yeah. excited to talk about well so should we get to it like you want to talk about the first one uh, can I just give one quick thing about documentaries in 2020 
and that's just that uh, City So Real just started airing as you're listening to it this weekend. It's from my favorite documentarian, Stephen James, who did Hoop Dreams and Stevie, uh, The Interrupters, which is the best movie. Uh, but his movie uh, series starts this started this weekend on Hulu. Uh, that is a docu-series that I'm going to go gaga over. Uh, if you're huge fans of those movies, like Hoop Dreams is like the best movie and... I love is everything he's ever done. Is this one that's about Chicago? Is this one? Yeah, this is one about Chicago. Yeah, uh, uh, he's an Illinois guy. Uh, Interrupters was also about uh, ceasefire in Chicago. I'm so excited for a city so real. That's like that's like my big television get, and also Borat too. If you want to count that as a documentary, I, I, I yeah, thoroughly I saw enjoyed. you put that on the list of 2020 documentaries, and I like LOL by myself <laughs> in a room. I was like, oh my god, great uh, 2020 documentaries, Borat too. I mean, in a certain way, like you can't argue, but in another way, like fuck off you know like, hey and that's what it is if we all agreed on everything what would we ever learn and that's what helped me remind me of <laughs> with Borat Caleb, S. Caleb S deep as hell brother hell yeah okay let's talk about uh first we're gonna do time this is civil then again uh-huh. no we don't have anything alrighty thank you so much my twins will be 18 next month they have absolutely no idea what it means to have a father in their house. What fathers even do. The title, Time Itself, as applied to this film from director-producer Garrett Bradley, is, like Time Itself, ambiguous at best. Time, literally as a passage. Time, meaning a jail sentence being served. Or time, perhaps as something that is all anyone ever has. Uh, this film, which won Best Director for U.S. Documentary in competition at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival, follows Sybil Fox Richardson over a 20-odd-year period as she fights for the release of her husband Rob, who is serving a 60-year sentence with no parole. Using original footage as well as personal home videos, we see Fox Rich share aspects of her life and how it is shaped by her husband's time spent in jail. Fox Rich is a black woman in America. She is an entrepreneur, a mother of six, and an abolitionist. The film captures her circumstances while reminding us of our own stereotypes and judgments as it lays out, or perhaps reminds us, what it is to be human. At times beautiful, at times heartbreaking, time can be emotionally overwhelming, but ultimately says so much by showing what can be taken away. Chris, how you feel in time? I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's a remarkable movie in a lot of ways. I mean, the, it is funny because so much of the film was shot by the subject because the, mm-hmm. what's happens is her husband goes to jail and then it's like, she's making videos for him. Right. So, so she's constantly videotaping her entire life and she's, and you know, we're just constantly seeing her, you know, seeing her kids and seeing her mother. And at a certain point in the movie, I was like, wait, did, is she the director? Like who directed this movie? <laughs> you know, because you can kind of forget that there is like another hand in there. Cause it's so completely the story of this woman, you know, she's on camera or holding the camera, like almost the entire movie. Right. And she just is so has such a forceful personality and we see her change so much over the yes, course of the yes. film. I mean, the plot, I mean, the plot of it, quote unquote, like the, the events of this woman's life are like her and her husband tried to open 
Was it like it was like, was a, like hip-hop a, a hip hop clothing store? Clothing store in, uh, was it in Shreveport? Shreveport? Yeah, it's Shreveport's first hip hop clothing store. And to be frank, it looked cool. <laughs> and their yeah, their like symbol was like an onk. It was like kind of like De La Soul y um, streetwear stuff. But so I guess the business wasn't going well, and so they decide to rob a bank. And then she, they both go to jail, but her husband goes to jail for much longer, and she's spending all this time trying to get her husband out of jail. And we see her you know, just come out of jail, be struggling, like find some success, you know, be frustrated, act, you know, very proper with the judges and the, all the lawyers she has to act to speak yeah. with and then act very like teasing and mean to her husband who's in jail and, you know, to like be silly and dumb around her kids. And it's like, you know, I mean, watching both of these movies did make me think, like, what is it I like about what is it I like about documentaries? What, what you know, what what is it you want out of out of a documentary? And I, I you know, I think the answer has to be like, you want an authentic window into someone else's sure. lived experience that's like true. Yeah. And and on those on that level, I thought Time is like such a good documentary. It's very very good documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it does. Yeah, what you're saying, it takes this real life footage that's her talking to her husband. Uh, but yeah, it's supplemented by uh, that footage the director actually shoots, and then the director had access to this home video footage, and uh, I think that's when the movie becomes extra special in the way that she chooses to deal that out. Like, the movie's called Time, and it just collapses time in some senses, or it just will like show her kids one age and then just jump to the next, or like then go back to it. And it's kind of hard to follow, and you have to like calibrate yourself to the actual going on. And that way it's uh, the more poem of film and the more poetry of editing. Uh, and it's all shot in black and white too, which is I thought was a very nice touch. But yeah, it does all this poetic stuff while touching on so many stuff, uh, race, faith, uh, the red like, tape of the all- What's the best all... way to live your life? You yeah. Know? <laughs> uh, but, uh, and I'm gonna throw this back to a movie we covered last episode. It's still not poverty porn, uh, how uh, Rada, Rada Blank said uh, in Dude. her rap. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that. Like, I totally was thinking of that movie when I was watching this because I also black I found myself at certain points feeling like this the fucking sleazy white uh, producer in the forty year old version because I was like the thing about these about her and her children is they're all so positive and her children are so yeah. successful. And then her husband, spoiler alert, does get out of jail eventually. And when he gets out, he's in amazing shape. He seems emotionally in a great place. And everyone immediately welcomes him with open arms. And he gives, like, a beautiful speech. And, like, that's the end of the movie. And I I felt like the fucking white guy from 40-Year-Old Version. I was like, yeah, but, I mean, is it really like this? I mean, (laughs) it's so positive. And then I was like, Chris, this literally happened. (laughs) Like, it's not, yes, it is like this. This is what happened. Uh, um, it really but it does like, feel like in a certain way, like you're not seeing, you know, when you think of like the exploitive carceral system and the way it ruins people's lives. I mean, these people are defying having their lives ruined by it, right? It's more that we never see Robert, her husband, uh, in jail. We hardly see Robert in the movie at all. Like he's in it, but like really a, he's a backseat. Uh, and there is like a looming sentence, uh, like the, his hearing is coming up his uh and it's never played for like a big thrill or anything. It's just mentioned as a thing. It's not like a step-by-step legal drama in any sense of the means. It's this movie's mostly attuned to the changes within the family, the Richardson family. It's the and this is a 
hard thing to quantify to film, and I think they did great at it. It's the lowering of expectations for something to happen and also clinging to a hope. And that can be hard yeah, to watch, especially yeah, when true. you see these, very, like we said, very strong, optimistic people. And their only weapon is their optimism to fight against the system. And like I said, it's not poverty porn. Like the home, porn, the home no. footage uh, that they provided, it's all narrated by Fox Rich herself. It's as a means to show how she's documenting to her family and her, uh, her family's lives to her husband. Uh, and they show it out of order. So it, yeah, you, you get to calibrate yourself to it and like really I mean, pay I attention to it. What you were saying before that like, you know, uh, it's a beautiful film, right? But it is very hard to follow yeah, what's yeah. going on. It, it, like you're saying, it jumps around in time a lot. You don't know what's going on half yeah, the time. Like, but it's like, does it really matter what's going on? But it, then also when, um, when he eventually, you know, wins his case and is going to be released, there's not like they don't. Uh, you don't even necessarily know it's happened. It's just all of a sudden they're talking about yeah. when he's going to get out. I think it shows. And you're like, like, wait, what happened? Yeah, <laughs> you know? it really. Uh, I think that speaks to the uh, resilience of this film. Like, this is what resilience uh, between people look like. Like uh, the whole movie is about how the their two youngest kids are they're twins. She was pregnant with him when they got uh, incarcerated. They're eight. They're eighteen now, and they've never had a father. Uh, but they're both in college. Uh, their oldest son's in med school. Uh, they didn't say there's no pity there. There is just they're not asking for pity. What they're asking for is actually just justice for their father. So like to talk about uh, that a little bit, like they're guilty. Uh, the movie doesn't shy away from that. They're guilty. They're guilty. Like um, they did it. They yeah. did try to rob. But um, they say they tried to rob a bank. So I imagine so, they didn't like succeed. No, they didn't steal the any money at the end. It was the, both their first time offenders, and, it, and both were nonviolent. She got sentenced to uh, like. 19 20 years but she through behavior she got out in three and he got sentenced to 60 with no parole they threw the book at him Dude, i know it's so crazy. Uh, and that's what this movie's ultimately about too is this like why is this so unfair they kind of answer it bluntly because he's black is why it's not fair right, uh he's yeah, black in, in the south and it's so harrowing just to like i mean it's just the fact it. that they gave him 60 years in jail for this you just think like what the fuck yeah, can't but then it is so like you were saying it can be really hard to watch her like banging her head against the wall because we're seeing like 20 years of her trying to get him out of jail Mm -hmm. and she you know the movie says he's guilty and he's been convicted and he's been sentenced to 60 years without parole and he at a certain point has exhausted all of his appeals or whatever and she just keeps saying like they need to get people out that don't belong in there and you know and she's like oh but they don't care and and you just think to yourself like I don't know that you're gonna like this system is designed like this like what's happening is 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 not against the rules like this is actually what the rules are designed to make happen like and i just found myself despairing thinking like this is just never gonna work out for her you know and i felt so awful watching it but then of course it does work out which is yeah crazy it does work out it, it, it's it, it honestly is just such a nice ending and it, it finally gets to it but it is like when you're watching it because you don't know because it's so real and so like we said poetic and hard, it's hard, hard hard to follow ways which is not a deterrent for me i thought it was really cool but uh it shows that red tape a lot too like there's a lot of scenes of her just calling judges or calling clerks and judges secretaries like probably daily at certain points oh and it just honestly just shows uh fox rich's strength and commitment and she could have carried you could have made a whole documentary about this woman herself, and they probably want to want to started it that way because she speaks. She's a public speaker. She's uh like she said, yeah. like you said, she's an abolitionist, which I think is really cool. Uh, like she comes out and says, our incarceration is a form of slavery. 
Like, it's true, like, even after the release of, if you're a black man and you get released from prison, you're gonna get shunned, you're gonna have to, uh, quote, pay your debt, even though you've paid your debt to society, uh, you're still marked as someone not worthy. Uh, that's horrible. And they really, like, are upfront about that. Yeah, when we're talking about red tape of all this, uh, there's one scene that stuck out in my mind, because uh, she's such a strong person. As an audience, it sticks out, because you, as you know her at being a strong person, is when she finally breaks a little bit. She calls like a judge's secretary, and yeah. she asks her to check uh, the status of papers that she filed, and the clerk just says, oh, I have actually uh, checked that yet. Not, I haven't done that yet today. Uh, and then she hangs up and was like, I just, she just gets, her anger just blows up, and like, of course, you should be angry. Like, I'm watching, of course, be angry. This is horrible. <laughs> Uh, and what they do too, I but think it's like this... one of the only times you see her lose her temper. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like really and the only I mean... time they show her losing temper. I think the what? great thing about when they do that stuff like that, not only just that scene, but also just her calling in general. Like, all those scenes are shot in real time. They don't really edit them down. It just yeah. shows you like the how mundane that process is, and how you just have to be strong and have to actually commit to doing it to actually do it. And it's so soul destroying. I mean, it reminds anybody who's ever had to deal with any kind of big bureaucracy about something really important, like if you've got a legal problem or you have like a family member in the hospital or like anything. You yeah. Know? Like you she just get to know, like, you know, like who is the secretary to the person who knows the thing and like when are they going to be at their desk, mm -hmm. you know, and you have to make sure you call them before 3.30, but like after 10.30 and like not during lunch. And you just get so immersed in all that stuff. And it's like, it's like you work at the place where they are, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's so like, and you just, but you have no power there. And they're just like, oh yeah, no, we didn't do it. Sorry. I think there's even like a, you, a scene you know? where uh, she's talking to her lawyer who didn't do anything, but still charged them like $1,500. And like, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, exactly. It's just so much strong. And I think like, like she, she is this movie uh, for the most part. Like, it's just cut up and done artfully, which makes that movie go from good to great. <laughs> like, it was just, yeah, like, a I dumb agree, movie I about agree. her, and still very good. What I, I mean, yeah, well, this is a question, Caleb. Like, just, so, like, I also enjoy, but it, I found myself a little bit exasperated with the way it's so poetically put together. I mean, it's like Tree of Life or something, right? Like, sure. it's very poetic in that way. Um, do you think it would have been as good of a documentary if it was just, like, the story from beginning to end? Uh, probably for some people. I mean, that's the audience... Uh, that's how, uh, how things view as an audience. I mean, it would have been a familiar story, and I don't think it would have got as many plaudits as it said, as to trying yeah. to be experimental uh, as it, it quote unquote is. Um, like, the film could have worked simply as a portrait of her, but the approach of like mashing up the time or like jumping ahead and back and forth, that makes the film so much deeper. And I think it is still that portrait, but also through that use of home footage and the way it's shown we're seeing that view of time itself, what's like and how quickly things change, like things change abruptly. Like it's not just like they cut to her kids uh, in kindergarten to then they show them next scene grown up, but also like what, what you alluded to earlier, like her attitudes too, which I thought was really just like the most human aspect of it. Like of course over 20 years, thoughts and feelings and attitudes change. Uh, I think they display that more through her church, uh, and because she also talks to, uh, she speaks with uh, as part of her uh, entrepreneurship. She uh, is a speaker and gets hired for public speaking, but also like they cut through like her speaking to people about uh, her husband being incarcerated, and they go back to her at church. 
or she's just acknowledging her own mistakes, uh, which is very powerful. She's like she's like seeking atonement for herself in a way before she Wait, can see. Which scenes? Do you mean the scenes where she's like she's speaking like with the microphone? Yeah, they cut from like that to like back to her church where she's like more just asking for forgiveness too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that just well, elevates mean, it for me. <laughs> it's interesting you bring up this stuff because this was like some of my least favorite stuff about not about the film necessarily, but about like you know about this person <laughs> because it's like it is interesting that she. So eventually she finds some success, it seems, as uh, she's like a used car salesman. She's yeah, like, she has that commercial she shoots, yeah. She's a used car salesman, and she's also like a public speaker, you know. And it's interesting because as a used car salesman, she's pretty, like, restrained and all business. But the what you might refer to as, like, being like a used car salesman is how she is as a public speaker. I just thought sometimes it was, like, a little overdone, you know, like a little, like, overwrought. And, like, a yeah, little... it kind of speaks to how she has to act a certain way. Like, even on the phone, she has to, like, say, be extra polite to people uh, yeah. with mams and everything. Uh, but yeah, that does like probably like she had to raise six kids too. I mean, it's amazing. Well, this is the thing too. Her two kids, the two kids who never had a dad, like by the end of the movie, I was felt like very unaccomplished personally. And I was sure. trying to get lessons on how to be a good person from the movie. I was trying to be like surrogate parented by her. And we haven't mentioned yet her mom is a big oh, her part great, of the great film. character too. Yeah. As a kind of, there's just one interview with her yeah. where she's, but they're obviously talking about like everything that happened in this whole time period. And they keep cutting back to it. And with her saying like extremely cutting wise mm -hmm. things. And I was like, shit, I need to get like lessons from these people, you know? Um, <laughs> Because the so one of the kids ends up as a uh, dentist, I guess, right? He's like becomes a dentist. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. End. Yeah, and the other one is like in he's still in college, but he's like a very put together like student government type. We see him doing his like student government debates, and he's being awesome in them. And you know, oh like, sure, yeah, yeah. So I was just like, these two kids are so accomplished and have obviously been raised so well by this woman. It's like it was very impressive, and it it made me feel bad about myself. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you should, like, it's a movie that, like, should just, you. you should recognize you. Uh, just things about true to life that, like, not only that, like, oh, uh, the system that uh, we're putting people through is super fucked up, but also it's fucked up for their families, and it's fucked up that it's normal. Uh, and you're just feeling all this while watching someone struggle day to day with it, too. And it's called, and I love that this movie's called Time because for all the reasons I mentioned in my intro and uh, how I embellish the word time, it's just, time is such a big word and this is very much trying, to, like it throws a gauntlet down of what that can accomplish. And this movie really tries to go for that challenge of like incorporating so much through the meaning of time being passed as... It is, yeah. Yeah. Like, because it's all about, like you said, because the time is kind of like weaves around and we see it passing and uh, you know the way it's affecting everyone uh, and also in a certain sense like you know that's just what that's just what we're seeing in the movie like it, it has a sort of narrative structure but it's also just like this is how these people spent their lives you know and that's they're not dead but it's like it was a huge huge chunk of their lives was shaped by this one mm -hmm. event, and probably will know? continue to be shaped and uh it is a relief that he gets out at the end. <laughs> and, like, uh, it could have not been, and it could have been still a great movie, but it is just, like, like that's a, 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 a tear-jerking moment towards it the end. It is amazing. There. 
I want to say something, maybe we'll cut it out because maybe it's too hot of a take, okay? <laughs> and I want to say something like I don't 100% agree with. Like, and I would say I don't really agree with this at all, but this thought did occur to me and I couldn't convince myself that it was wrong, okay? And so it's this. Um, so obviously the movie's about the inhumanity of the criminal justice system. Like there's no reason this guy should have been sentenced to 60 years in jail. It's absolutely insane. And like his wife has to spend her whole life fighting to get him out, right? And that's awful, and it influences her views on the criminal justice system, too, and she's, like you said, an abolitionist. But, Caleb, could the argument not be made, looking at where the, that couple was at the moment where they committed their crime to where they were at the end of the film, having gotten so much success and having raised these children to go on to such success, and, you know, being the subject of a majorly acclaimed documentary <laughs> film, that, like... The carceral state, this is exactly the point of it. It, it completely reformed these people in, like beyond any imagining of what you think prison could do. Like I'm, these people completely turned their lives around and became unimaginably successful and positive. I'm sure and then they on would've... to the next generation, they're, they're giving positive values and success, and it's all because of the prison sentence. That's working in ifs. So also you could say that, it, but if he got released sooner, maybe they would have been even more successful right. too. Well, or maybe less successful. Yeah, I mean, so you know. that's working in, like, also if uh, if he was maybe six inches taller, he would have been more successful too. That's like, he would have been a baller. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, yeah, that's that's, all, that's a very hard to say. That's that slippery slope that Republicans like. <laughs> well, right, exactly, right? Because I mean, um, it's, it's literally what happened. Like, like you yeah, to make any other argument is hypotheticals. Like, this is literally what happened, and... It seems like they're all much the better for it. So, like, what was wrong? Uh, about I don't know. It exactly? if better is the right word because, like, she went through so much hardships, and like, I feel like those kids would have loved to have their dad around. Uh, and I don't know. Better is a, a quantitative word, right there. <laughs> I mean, I know, but you know, you can't argue. Yeah, it's it's, it's who's to say? But also, if uh, maybe if the Hindenburg didn't crash, they would have never gotten arrested in the first place, too. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. That is a good point. <laughs> Mentioned this to Chris earlier, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, the score of this movie. Uh, so the score largely consists of piano tracks less licensed from an Ethiopian nun who uh, Garrett Radley found on YouTube, and that nun's name is, uh, I wrote it down, I'm going to say it now, uh, Emohoi Swege Mariam Guabre. She's 96 years old. Uh, there's a great interview on uh, Pitchfork, pitchfork.com. Uh, check it out. It's a cool site. <laughs> Wait, I haven't heard of this site. What is it? It's a farm equipment site? Uh, cool music reviews, and it's like sweet stuff, cool, man. Anyway, I'm being sarcastic, but it's a cool interview with Garrett Bradley. It's cool that Pitchfork covered this movie. Uh, go check out Time. Anyway, Time is streamed on Amazon. We forgot to mention that. But uh, yeah, uh, there's a David Elric quote in his review about the score. I like that he uh, singled out the score, and he had a great quote about it. Quote, the melodic blues music she wrote for an orphanage in 1968 sounds like a pebble skipping along the surface of the entire 20th century. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, okay. It is like a very like non-intrusive score, but when you do uh, realize it, it's like, oh fuck, it's like tying things together so like effortlessly and nicely. Uh, yeah, it's I was, yeah. a very beautiful movie. Uh, like we said, like I just said, it's on Amazon right now. Uh, it won Sundance Awards. I'm wrapping up talking about it uh, i really liked it <laughs> i could tell that you were wrapping up without you saying that you were wrapping up. You know as they say in film caleb show don't tell so like yeah we are getting like towards the usual mark for it 
we, we certainly as shit are. Can you know, move <laughs> on to talking about our next film? Uh, yeah, Dick Johnson is dead. Just the idea that I might ever lose this man is too much to bear. He's my dad. Let's start walking. Just start walking to me. That's fantastic. I suggested we make a movie about him dying. (laughs) He said yes. She kills me multiple times. Action! Dick Johnson is Dead is the new film from uh, Kirsten Johnson, the acclaimed director of 2016's lyrical autobiographical documentary uh, camera person as Caleb was was talking about um, her new movie is a Netflix original it's called uh, Dick Johnson is Dead uh, it's also autobiographical but it also has this whole other <laughs> layer going on um, it combines what is in some sense is a straightforward documentary about Johnson's dad Dick Johnson getting older starting to have dementia closing down his medical practice he's a psychiatrist and moving across country to live with uh, Johnson, Kirsten Johnson, and uh, sort of with her family uh, in New York City, right? And it's about her coming to talking about their their mother who they miss and coming to terms with uh, death and with being together and talking about the past. And it's you know, in in many scenes, very well done and emotional. Um, but then there's also this level where there's these kind of like lurid technicolor reenact, like not reenactments, but like imaginings of ways that uh, Dick Johnson could accidentally die. And then also these insane scenes of him in heaven, like dancing around. There's like dancers with cardboard cutouts of pictures of him and his wife's faces when they were young. And there's the, uh, you know, like uh, chorus girls around them singing and there's confetti everywhere and people are doing ballet in slow motion. And then there's also like sort of we're watching those things be made as also part of the film. So there's definitely a lot uh, going on in this movie. Uh, It's definitely like it's touching. It's bizarre. It's very literal and extremely extremely abstract uh what did you think about this movie caleb uh yeah um and this is a deterrent for me in the sense that i'm a i watch too many movies uh but i I, i'm so informed from camera person from this movie uh i love camera person uh and and i thought it was a big deal tell tell us a little bit about like what was okay camera person is a personal memoir from kirsten johnson and uh she's basically home movies of the film she's worked on. Uh, she's a cinematographer other documentaries. She worked with like Michael Moore and a ton of other documentaries. And it, she doesn't narrate that camera person as she does in uh, Dick Johnson's Dead. And it's more about her turning a person into an object, turning into something to be viewed. Uh, and it's also, like Dick Johnson's Dead, very funny and very deep. Uh, it's on Criterion. There's a Criterion edition of it. So her new film, I felt, was like taking that thesis and then applying it to more personally and specifically to her father. Listeners of the show know I'm a huge fan of, quote, meta filmmaking. We have done a lot of meta Yeah, films. and as meta filmmaking, as it's, this movie, Dick Johnson's Dead, is meta filmmaking as means to show the actual process. In a way, it's almost pure meta. Uh, like, meta can be, like, barbed or satirical, like Charlie Kaufman movies, or... Uh, as you know, as, as, as a means to expose uh, a certain rawness, which also see Charlie Kaufman movies. <laughs> uh, but here, uh, Johnson shows just a lot of her own scenes being filmed. Like, she does these death reenactments, but she also shows, like, the filming and the behind-the-scenes and the talking and the actual just process of the scenes of her father dying. And that's as a means of perhaps 
both that uh, satire of film and also that rawness, but more is to actually just do it and to see what happens. And they always just go back to the process of it. I really, really enjoyed that as a person who just likes to see filmmakers work too. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't get a ton of reaction when they're doing it. Maybe it's just, maybe I just wasn't paying attention to the reaction, just them actually doing it when they're actually doing it. Uh, and if anything, it's when they're actually filming those death scenes. Uh, it's a microcosm of the ultimate purpose of the film, which I thought was, and I think this is a cool uh, thesis for a film, death is inevitable, so why be afraid of it? Right, right, yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess what what we're watching in the what, when we're watching the film is her dad. Her dad has dementia. Her mother had had Alzheimer's, and the idea is they're sort of going away slowly over time, and and to kind of lessen the burden of them slipping away like this. You know, Johnson is dramatizing these kind of insane, funny ways of her dad dying and making him participate. You know, he's mm-hmm. 85 years old for much of the movie, making him, you know, act in these things. There's like stunt doubles and green screens and pads and fake air conditioners and all kinds of stuff. But like, um, you know, to lessen the blow when the, the real death happens, right? It's like they've completely enacted it and gone through everything. And, you know, the climactic scene of the film is a, a funeral for Dick Johnson, which spoiler alert cut this out if you don't want to include it but like he's not actually dead like you think the movie leads you to believe he has died (laughs) and then you watch a funeral for him and then you start seeing him there and you kind of remember earlier in the movie they had they they seemed to be shooting this thing that you were watching but they Mm -hmm. weren't talking about how it was not real and then eventually they say oh yeah and he's still and guess what he's still alive yeah he gets to watch his own funeral it's a watch his own funeral beautiful thing we got to talk about uh because the film ultimately works so well as it does is because dick johnson himself great center great center of a movie you could totally make a movie off of him uh he's very kind he's funny he has a great laugh yeah. Uh, he's very just go with the flow. Always uh, guy. smiling. He seems so, so pleased and surprised by it, everything. That he's happens. go with the flow, and he's a former psychiatrist. So like this is a very thought experiment. Like oh, uh, to help his daughter, uh, either uh, like you said, uh, pad get ready for his primer for her the death, or just you know avoid it maybe too in a way. And you know, as, as an audience member, uh, you just feel really protective of him i i, I mean I, at least i did I, th- I thought he was just like a great guy and yeah, i and know he's getting killed he's being abused just, by his daughter his... yeah he's being abused by his daughter in the <laughs> making of the movie who's making him do all these things and he seemed by the end of the movie he seems to be like very much worse for wear for having to do all this bullshit <laughs> he seems worse for wear because of it and also because the inevitable crawl of his life he is in his 80s older, and yeah. uh like there's a scene where he they, they tell him he can't drive anymore. That's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, there's a, mean, a lot of this stuff. He, he has he has they, they, he's diagnosed with dementia. And he just starts forgetting things, and it's I think everyone probably is gonna go through that watching their parents age. That's a universal truth, and I thanks to Kirsten and Dick Johnson, uh, they tackled it with a lot of playfulness. <laughs> And uh, a lot of humor and also just care and love. Well, to, to actually love somebody is to just accept that they will die and they will be death and it will be hard. That's yeah. kind of what love is. It's and, rough. Uh, yeah, dude. But 
I mean, right, that's what vampires are always talking about. <laughs> They're always like, I don't want to fall in love with someone. I just have to watch you get old and die. But guess yeah. what? That's what we have to do, too. <laughs> that's what we have to do. Caleb, what, what did you think about the use of these, like, dramatization Ooh. segments? So, yeah. Like, what, what did you think about these? I, I appreciated that they were, like, lyrical, symbolic, I don't know, something like that. Yeah, but at th the same time, like, I didn't love them. I really didn't yeah. like them very much. So they're not too heavy-handed. I'll give them that. But they're maybe they're not heavy-handed. They're they're good uh, enough, but they may be just a little bit too cute for their own good. Yeah, there's like a guy who looks like Jesus. Yeah, there's like a heaven supposed, sequence. He's supposed to be very religious, like and he wasn't like allowed a, to. Yeah, it's like a fake Fellini sequence in the in the heaven sequences. There's like a Halloween sequence. It's like shot like a silent horror film. Just like a little bit too cute for my taste, especially for like how great in black comedy the rest of the movie kind of was. Like there's like a transition once that's like skywriting, like it's just a little bit. But yeah, I think those ultimately distracted from because they did show a, what, what I liked uh, the process. The process works there, like that Dick's go with the flow, his go with the flow attitude, and we get to see her actually direct. But then they actually show that finished product of like ha Heaven sequence and the Halloween sequence, and I'm picking on those two. Stupid. I mean, the Heaven sequence especially is really bad. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a guy who's dressed up like and... Jesus, and like he's standing next to a sign that says "No dancing," and he's going like, "Oh man!" while everyone is dancing. You know, <laughs> I yeah, I, I felt kind of like like what you're saying. You get the sense watching the watching the film because so much of the film is the making of these sequences but you really only see them briefly right it's like it's really it's like they are just an activity for dick they're an activity yeah. for dick and kristen kirsten to do together and like it's almost like not important what the actual things look like although they do include the actual things in the movie and they're usually like pretty dumb they're usually like pretty dumb but you just get the sense like this is just She's a filmmaker. She made up this whole movie and got God knows how many millions of dollars from various foundations just so she could have an excuse to something to do with her dad. Mm -hmm. You know, like <laughs> it does go along with her ethos as a camera person in this, and that it, it's experimental. And that's I think kind of cool that she got the money to just explore her feelings. That I mean, ultimately that's what movies should be: is you should get money yeah, to yeah, really just right. make something personal. <laughs> and she's just putting it out out there and more. Uh, like I said, I said raw and uh, meta in that way. With camera person, uh, she never really showed herself in the film. Like she was just like what she shot until she was like, that was her behind the camera. Uh, but she she was absolutely felt in that movie when she, as, as you can see, like all her shots lined up in a row like it was. Uh, and it did towards the end of that movie, what she did to make it uh, outstanding was she included footage of her mother in her final days. Like they reference uh, the mother in this film and I think ultimately why she made this film is because she didn't fully interact as much before her mother's her mother uh, had Alzheimer's Alzheimer's disease, uh, so she didn't interact and she regretted not having that document. So she wanted to get that from her uh, father uh, while he was still here. But yeah, ultimately there's like no real answers on dealing with death in Dick Johnson's Dead for a movie about... I didn't even... I, and I didn't even know that they were even attempting to give answers. Yeah, I, I think that... Yeah, that I don't think they were. It's more just... If, if anything, the answer was, uh, you know, live life now so you don't regret, have to have regrets later on, which is, I don't know, uh, Candide, Voltaire's Candide. Touch on that, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there was something... I was Benny talking Hill about touched how the on podcasts that. kicked off this whole wave of interest in reality TV in a certain way. Um, there was something about this movie that struck me as very podcasty, like something about her narration and the way the music is used and the kind of 
the subject matter and the way it's dealt with. I mean, it remind it was very sure. like 2011 This American Life live show. I get like, that. It yeah. was very like David Rakoff is going to come on and do a ballet after this. You know, it was very <laughs> much like that kind of a thing, um, which is like fine. And I was so into that stuff at the time. And but to see it in 2020, I'm kind of like. I love it. It's great. But it's also like, I don't know. It just seems get, a little done. It's a little done. I get that know? podcasty vibe. And I think she does build on it in the sense that she is, it is a film other than a podcast. And she does just, you know, revel in that she is making a film as she's touching on these subjects. And that, like, I, I keep touching on, like, I those scenes where she's actually filming things and just talking to her dad as she's filming these things and talking to her crew when she pulls out, like, oh, yeah, cool. I killed my dad there. It's... I don't know, it's just very, like, you'll never see stuff like that again. And I think that's what makes it uh, a good movie. Well, see, this is the other thing I'll say, is, like, I was talking during time about how these movies made me question what it is I like about documentaries. Mm -hmm. And it was really because of watching this movie, because I just had the feeling, I had the feeling often of, like, like, what am I watching? Like, why does this exist? Like, what is the point of this, you know? And I, I felt like a, like a bad viewer for asking those questions but i just i felt very much like because i don't think that the, you know the camera work is not very good there's not a lot of like interesting a lot of times when they're having their most heartfelt and interesting conversations kirsten johnson like kind of moves the camera away and, it, and then you end up like looking at someone's shoe and i i didn't get the sense that it was necessarily a conscious choice i thought it it's more like you can feel her um wanting to just be talking to her dad and not be uh, a movie you know maker, i i do you know? uh yeah when she did but so do what stuff i'm saying like is that, like there wasn't like a lot of it wasn't like great to look at you know it wasn't like i cuz i was just like well then i was like well what is a fucking documentary like why why do they even exist <laughs> like what is this kind of thing like what, is, what am well, I why even why even think why even bother trying to look at art yeah i mean um, i don't know there was stuff with that when she would like yeah there was uh the camera would be a little off center or just a lot. I think it was, there wasn't a intentional imperfectness to this movie or just in sense of like, I'll just leave this shit in here. That just spoke to the emotional center of just like, she wants to talk to her dad instead of like doing the film. Because like, right, sometimes yeah. she would just like drop the camera and just like. And that's real, right? Yeah, that's real. That's real. But yeah, it's always but hard also, to. I, I got the feeling too, like she had just recorded three years worth of stuff and she put in the best stuff. Oh uh, yeah, it you record. To be you that record. The angle was like really fucked up, and that's what movies anything, are, man. Like, you record cares, as much you know? as you can, and then edit it into a conceivable thing. And that's why I mean that is true. Great. That is true. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a horrible edit of Fury Road out there that uh, that I think we're not exposed to. <laughs> but like, yeah, did I interrupt you? I feel like you were about no, to say no. Something I was uh, just talking about you know her emotional state, which it has to be said that she probably wasn't even aware how. Um, of her emotional state because it's hard right. to reckon as you're leading a crew in film at the same time and it's also a follow-up to your other acclaimed film as you're I dealing mean, with this emotion I, I think it's a you know a big swing to take home run who knows baseball metaphors are stupid yeah um, i mean i gotta say it does fe- at times the movie feels like it has gimmicks instead of you know i did you know, it's content. a hard harsh word gimmick but i would agree with you it, it did uh feel gimmicky at points i mean it is a gimmick it's she's killing her dad over and over again well i mean it, speaking of I mean, this is a movie i have not seen but i know a lot about it and you've talked about it a lot of course i mean it's like the act of killing but the act of killing has a point and a point of view and it's really devastating but this is just like why sure you know why yeah i guess so yeah that is uh, like that movie is their 
killers reenacting mass murderers they've done uh, right. for the sense to get into th their brains. But in I the mean, sense that it's like getting real people to reenact or to reenact or dramatize things, and you're seeing the behind the scenes of it, and you know, blah blah blah. I mean, it's it has a lot of that energy in it. Right? It does. Um, to get something to do something, it's an all idea. To, you have to get the idea out there and to actually do it to see if it works. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't work. I Dick Johnson's dead. I think ultimately works in the sense that it's a black comedy that it lets you accept death in a very new way. <laughs> and if that's what they're going for, it kind of succeeded. But I don't know, in like a straightforward documentary way, I prefer camera person. Uh, but um, yeah. it's a fine movie. Well, Caleb, you've already <laughs> moved on to it. Shall we move on to it? Sure. Let's say your life is going to be irrevocably altered and you have to star in and direct a documentary about it if you don't pick one of these two movies. Uh, Caleb, which of these two movies would you recommend? You know, uh, I'm going to go with time here. It's probably going to be in my top five, three movies of the year. I was floored by it. I'm going to watch it again. And it's we didn't mention it's like only 80 minutes. It's very oh concise, God, but it right? feels yeah. so long and so big and... It just is the most human thing I've, and something we would all need right now is a human touch. If you want a good reach out and human touch you movie right now, uh, time. I mean, I like Dick Johnson's Dead a lot. Again, I think it's really funny. I don't know if it's the funniest movie of the year. <laughs> but I really appreciated that, uh, what it was trying to do. And I would recommend, I would recommend both these movies, but I'm going to go with Time as my actually best choice movie. Yeah, Caleb, I got to agree with you there. Time is definitely my choice of these two movies. It is, you know, at times confounding, and you might think it's doing some things just to be showy. We didn't even say the last, like, 30 seconds of the movie are in reverse for, like, yeah. kind of a reason, I guess, <laughs> yeah. you know? But it just looks cool. And I, I look, it's an audiovisual medium. Doing something because it looks cool is definitely not the worst reason in the world, right? Uh, and it, it kind of is emotionally resonant. Fine, fine, you know? But yeah, I would definitely pick it over Dick Johnson is Dead, which I, I was intrigued by having seen a little bit about it and read a little bit about it. But I will say it did not it did not really match my expectations. And as you said, like it's good for artists to try different things and I applaud her working in this way. And it's I'm glad for a diversity of things to be out there, but didn't quite hit the mark for me. Yeah, it hit a mark, but yeah, it, it could be. I mean, people could be going through something and they could definitely use this right now. And uh, that's great. You know, maybe that's the ultimate purpose. Maybe she'll hopefully make more yeah. films. Hit and... the mark, yeah, dropped an air conditioner on her dad's head. You know what I'm talking about? Hit that I mean, mark pretty good, who, maybe. Who, who amongst us has not wanted to do that to our fathers? <laughs> or just at all. Like, anytime you're putting in an air conditioner, you're just like, shit, what if it fell and I killed someone? That is a constant thought, yeah. I mean, there's a Seinfeld about it, right? I mean, yeah. I guess they don't kill somebody, but... I think there's a more uh, air conditioner death than shark attacks per year. <laughs> Did you say shark attacks? Shark attacks, your shirt shark gets... Your shirt I mean, when, gets shocked, when and that's how you die. When people should be protecting people, but they shirk their responsibilities, and the people die. Remember when we did shirkers? Did we do shirkers on this podcast? I think we did shirkers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God, I don't know. We've, I don't know. Who fucking knows, man? That's a meta doc, yeah. Anyway, that's the show for this week, everybody. <laughs> we did a great job. Bye. Yay, goodbye. We did a great job. Thanks for to us. Listen to us next week as well, or two weeks. Two weeks, whatever. Bye, y'all.
As someone who has a sky writing tattoo, you probably really like that. <laughs> you uh, that? It's a sky banner tattoo, and it's a reference to uh, my uh, cult movie, The Brother Solomon. Will Forte, what well, this up? This was also a this was also a sky banner. It wasn't sky writing. Oh, it was a sky banner. You're right.